name is Alan. Actually, uh, particularly glad that you're here this morning because we are embarking on a uh, pretty exciting journey. Pretty thrilled to be doing this uh, with you. I hope you got your booklet on the way in here. Uh, we are entering into this journey called the whole shebang. This is a journey that no one in this room, including me, has been on. We are going to go on this journey together, and I believe this journey will change uh, the lives of many of you here will change many of our families and it will have a, a significant impact on, on our church and on the, bringing the kingdom of God here to this earth. Pretty stoked about that. This book will be your, uh, uh, let's see, your guidebook uh, throughout this deal. Every week we are going to give you a sheet or two that will get inserted into here. Uh, folks worked for like six hours stuffing these little pieces of paper in here on Friday for you and so that you can have these deals. And uh, yeah, volunteers, I don't even know who they were, but they worked so, so hard. I wasn't here that day. Fantastic. And uh, it's broken down into these seven different tabs, and we will let you know kind of how this all lands. We'll, we're not going to explain all of this here this morning. We're going to jump in, and this is all going to kind of make sense to us as we walk through this. Uh, this we're calling this the whole shebang. Shebang means the entirety of something. So you, it's, it's the completeness, the entirety of something. It also means a party. You, should be, you come over to my house, we're going to have a shebang. So we're going to have a party as we look at the entirety of the grand story that God has laid out for us. The idea for this is, uh, is this. We're all familiar with some parts of the story. We're all familiar with at least some of the stories that are part of the whole shebang. We've heard of David and Goliath, Daniel in the lion's den. We're certainly familiar with Jesus dying on a cross. But where we get tripped up sometimes is how does all those things fit together? How does it fit together? Why? What's the order of these things and how do they come together? Do they all have one grand overall meaning? Is there a whole shebang, an entirety kind of meaning behind all this? And oftentimes it doesn't feel that way. I saw, the, I think it was the movie Pelican Brief uh, a number of years ago in the theater. I think, that, I think it was a, a Grisham movie that I saw in the theater and... I was it, was, it was the Dollar Theater, but I was watching it, and when the movie started, I thought, wow, this is odd. I don't, I don't get it. I, I'm not following what's happening. Uh, it seems like there's this story. I guess they're going to explain the story later. Later on in the movie, then they introduce the characters as to who, who's, who these folks are and what's happening. Well, what I realized was that they mixed up the reels in the movie that I was watching. Uh, uh, some guy up there who gets paid four bucks an hour, what they do is they put these reels in order. You get three or four reels, big reels of movies, and they have to splice them together. Well, they put them in the wrong order. They showed three, then two, then one, then four of these movies. Very confusing to watch a movie that way. Sometimes life feels like, like it's that way. Like we've entered into a movie... And we don't need, how, how is this happening? Why is this such a big deal to this person? We get married, and then we realize a year into it, whoa, 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 how, why is that so huge for you? Why is that so important for you? How, what's, what's the story behind this? How did we get to this? I'm watching Reel 3. I missed 1 and 2. And, and, and there are things, even big, big picture, when you look at our country and the black-white issue in our country, and we think, how does, how does this still happen? Why, how could this possibly still be happening in our country? 
You look at how the Muslims and the Jews continue to despise one another in the Middle East. Why is that? What's going on there? Back up to the story of Jesus on the cross. Why did he have to die? That just doesn't make any sense. Why did he have to die? He was a great teacher. He was, great. He was God. Why, why the blood? Sometimes we have to step back from the story that we're living in and you just get a grander perspective. And that's what we're going to do in this series. We're going to do a little bit of that here this morning. We're going to go after this more and more to step back and say, what is the whole shebang? What is the grand story? Would you pray with me as we jump in? Father, I am so thrilled for each person, each soul, each family that is here in this room here today. God, just so excited that we get to do this journey together. God, you are the author of this story, and you've invited us to be a part of that. So, Father, I'm I'm thankful that we get to do this. No one has it all figured out. We are humbly coming before you and saying, God, would you reveal your amazing story to us? Not just for information's sake, but so that we could be transformed by you, the designer, the creator of all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, now, if we are going to jump in and look at the whole story, and we're going to look at a book in the Bible, you would expect that we would start with the book of Job. Right? I mean, of course you would think it would be Genesis. That would be the expected thing because Genesis is the first book in the Bible. It starts with the words, in the beginning. That's what Genesis means. It's the genesis of the whole story. So you'd think we'd start with with Genesis, but why would I want to start with the book that you're expecting me to start with? That just doesn't sound fun at all. Now, for, for overall, as we go through the whole shebang, there will be some kind of logical uh, journey through the books that we're looking at and how we're going through those. But I want to start off a little bit different. I want to start off by looking at the book of Job. And maybe some of you are going to walk out of the room today going, Job? But hopefully there will be some rhyme or reason as to why we're starting with the book of Job. First of all, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It's the oldest story in the Bible. And, uh, see, see the, the story of Job happens way before Moses and the story of Moses. And Moses is the one who wrote the book of Genesis. So the story of Job happens way long time ago. And arguably, it could be the oldest written story in human history. It could be. Some are going to debate that. It is an old, old story. Now, but more, more importantly than that, the reason I want to start with Job is that Job beautifully introduces the three main characters of the story. The three main characters of the whole shebang. You want to understand a story, you want to enter into a story, you got to know who the characters are. Now the whole shebang in general is a story about God the Father who is pursuing a restored relationship with us, with His kids. That's the whole story. That's the whole shebang. God the Father pursuing a loving, restored relationship with us, His kids. Those are, the, those are two of the main characters in the whole shebang in the story. God, us. But then there's a third character, the antagonist, if you will, the adversary, the enemy. Or as the church lady says, hmm, could it be, hmm, I don't know, could it be Satan? 
there is this third character. Now, some of you, if you are new or kind of just wondering, yeah, I'll kind of check out the whole shebang, or maybe you're saying, I'll give it January. I'll give it January. Maybe at this point you're saying, oh, great, it's just one of them churches that talks about the devil. They're going to talk about the devil. Well, actually, we are. <laughs> we are. And the reason for that is Satan plays a pretty significant role in the story, a pretty significant role in the whole shebang. Whether we're looking at the book of Job or we're looking at the book of Genesis, which would be a, another logical place to start, Satan shows up right off the bat. Genesis, he shows up uh, in the form of a serpent. And this adversary, this enemy, is throughout the whole shebang, and then the whole thing ends with the destruction of the enemy, of the adversary. That's, right, that's the whole story in Revelation. We're going to look at that at the end of the year. You've got a whole year to look forward to that. But the whole thing is that Satan plays a significant part in this story. Now, there's much about, about the enemy, about Satan, that we do not know. We, we don't know what he looks like. The image that you have in your head right now, right now you have an image in your head. Red skin, horns, bah, that whole deal. That here, that, that is more from Greek mythology than it is from the Bible. That is, that is, that is just, and I think that Satan wants us to think that's what he looks like so that we're not going to recognize him when he shows up in, 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 in other ways, and other forms, etc. So we have this image. That's not really what's happening there. Now, there's also a traditional story of the origin of the enemy, of the adversary. This traditional story is that Satan was a high-ranking angel, perhaps the number two angel, a beautiful, powerful angel named Lucifer. And this angel didn't like being number two. It was given free choice, just as we're giving, uh, given free choice and decided, I want to be the top dog. I want to fight God and take over the number one spot. Well, Lucifer, as powerful as he was, was no competition for God. And doink, God just kind of flicked him out of heaven. It wasn't his big battle. Just kind of doink, flicked him out of heaven, and a third of the angels went with him. That's the traditional story of the origin of Satan. That is based as much on tradition as it is on Scripture. Okay, there's a lot that's kind of uncertain about that story and the whole deal. Okay, but... What we do know about the enemy, and this is the most important part, what we do know is that he's a liar and that he is hell-bent on destroying the relationship between the other two main characters in the story. That's his job. That's, his, that's, that's what he's doing. He is doing all that he can to destroy the, the relationship between God and us that God is trying to restore, that God is trying to put together. We have three main characters God who created, who loves, who is pursuing us, us that we have the opportunity to respond, to see the story, and to, and to uh, respond to this God who is pursuing us. And then the enemy, the adversary, the antagonist who's trying to ruin the whole deal. You see, the enemy going toe-to-toe to God, power-to-power power with God, has no chance. Flick, doink. So the enemy goes after that which God loves the most, and that's us. The three main characters in the story. And this is what we see here in Job. Let's jump in to Job chapter 1, verse 1. Job is, if you go to the middle of your Bible and go hang a Louie, go left just a little bit, you'll find Psalms pretty quickly, and just prior to Psalms is the book of Job. I invite you to bring your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible or feel 
whatever, don't know where to get one or whatever, feel free to grab one in the lobby. We have extra Bibles in there. And so we invite you to bring your Bibles. And as we go through the whole shebang, we will look at the Bible every week, every time. This is where the truth is. It's not, it's not my imagination. It is, it is the truth that we pull out of, out of this deal. We invite you to bring your Bible. We can, we can get familiar with this together. So uh, let's see. Job chapter 1. Verse 1, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Now, where did the people of Israel live? Good for you. Israel. I mean, it's not a trick question. Where did the people of Israel live? In Israel. I mean, it's a, now, but this story, this story here in Job, it starts off saying, talking about a land of us, not Oz, us. He was the greatest man among all the people in the East. This story does not take place in Israel. This story takes place in another place, a place called Uz. Uz is the place where bad things happen to good people. That's what Uz is. Uz is the place where bad things happen to good people. And every one of us here in this room has spent a little bit of time in Uz. Some of you are visiting us right now. This is your story. And this is such a huge story for so many of us because it taps into one of the biggest stumbling blocks we have with regard to believing in a designer of a whole shebang of a whole story. How could a God, a loving, pursuing God, allow bad things to happen to good people? This is a very legitimate question and a struggle. This is the question that is asked in the land of us. Now, the writer of this story does something for us that is beautifully amazing. And this is why I want to start off with the book of Job. He, re- he pulls back the curtain on the whole shebang and reveals to us that the story that we're living in has two stages. That the story we're living in is more complex than We sometimes believe that it is. The writer pulls back the curtain to reveal that there are two stages. There is a stage that the story takes place in. Okay, you are witnessing the whole shebang. You're watching the deal. There is half of the stage. Imagine this part over here. In this this half of the stage, it is the supernatural story. It is the conversation that we will soon see between God and and the angels, and Satan. It is this supernatural place, and from this stage, the characters can see everything in every area. They can see you, the audience. They are aware of every piece. But there's a second stage. It's the stage that we live in. It's the story here on this other stage, the reality, the natural world that we live in. This is where you and I find ourselves. This is the first one that we become aware of. This is the story where Job and his wife and his friends interact and have their conversation. There's two stages. 
And at this stage, all they can see is what's in the stage. They are not privy to what's happening in the other stage. Over there, they're aware of everything. Over here, they're only aware of, hap- of what's happening on their part of the stage. So let's continue in the story, verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Which part of the stage is this happening in right now? It's right here, stage 1. This is what's happening in stage 1. This is the part that Job is not aware of. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now this is the big question. Verse 9, Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. This is a big deal here, what we're getting access to. Satan is challenging God's entire design for the whole shebang. With this question, when he asks, does Job fear God for nothing? In other words, the love that Job, the the, the worship that Job has for you, God, it's not for nothing. It's for his own benefit. You, this whole design that you've created, it's not working out. See, God's design is to create us that we would have the choice to love him back. Love is not love unless, unless there's freedom. With, with regard to our family and our marriages, love is not love if, if there's shackles involved. And so God has given us the free choice to love him back. That's the only way real love works. And Satan is challenging that, saying, Job only loves because of the blessings that you're giving him. That's why he loves. It's not real love. Take away the blessings, the love goes away. It's like how some children respond to the last couple weeks. Some children uh, were going to say, you know, how was Christmas? Santa Claus was great. Santa Claus was awesome. Mom and dad, eh, didn't really pull through for me. But Santa Claus, and then mom and dad goes, ah, ha, ha. And, and, and what's happening there is, is there, there's an immature love. An immature love is measured by the gifts that are received. And Satan is saying, this, this interaction between these two characters, God and Job, who's representing humanity, is one that is based on the gifts that God is giving. It's an immature love. You take away the gifts, you take away the blessings, the love isn't there huge story that's happening on it. And if Satan is right, if Satan was right about Job, about humanity, then the whole shebang would fall apart. The whole thing wouldn't work. If it's not possible for us to genuinely love God back, the whole thing wouldn't work. God would have to wipe the whole thing clear and start again, a whole shebang 2.0. He'd have to try again somehow. This is, this is, a, this is a huge deal. And so we go back to stage Two, and Job loses everything that he owns. He loses his livestock. He loses his ten kids, seven sons, three daughters. Loses them all. They're all dead. Satan's expecting Job to say, 
I'm done with you, God. But Job says in verse 20 of chapter, chapter 1, At this Job got up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. <laughs> and then we go back to stage one, and Satan is ticked off. Because Job has done an amazing thing here. So far, he has proven that God's premise for the whole shebang is right. We can genuinely love God. And Satan is ticked. So he's got to, he's got to bump, bump it up a little bit. Uh, chapter 2, verse 3, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones. He will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So we go back again to stage one. These things that are happening that Job is not aware of. Now, this, whole, this is not a game. This is not God playing with his toys. This is not, we are not lab rats that God is messing around with playing with here. God is betting it all, if you will, on humanity. He's saying, I believe in their, that their hearts are good. I believe they can make good decisions. I believe in Job. I believe, God says, in you. I believe in you. I bet it all on you. I give it all towards that. It's in you. Job is not on trial here. God is. God's design is on trial here. Then we go back to stage two. The reality, the life that Job finds himself in. And we have 35 chapters, 35 chapters of conversations back and forth between Job and his wife, Job and his friends. They go back and forth. 35 chapters in this world, not knowing what has happened over here, back and forth, explaining, thinking about how this all happens. 35 chapters of flawless logic. Logic from his friends. Let me give you an example. Verse, uh, sorry, chapter 8. Chapter 8, one of his friends named Bildad. First of all, do not have a friend named Bildad. You never <laughs> run away. Then Bild, and the, Bild, and he's a Shuite. You just stay away from Shuites. Bildad the Shuite replied, How long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. He's talking to Job. Does God pervert justice? Of course not. That's flawless logic. Does the Almighty pervert what is right? Of course not. That's flawless logic. When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Whoa. Bildad is saying, your ten kids died by an accidental death? It's their own fault. It must be. See, because goodness leads to prosperity. Wickedness leads to suffering. That's the way it works. That's logically the way it works. That's how it happens. Bildad is, is 
consistent with the, with the way many of us naturally think. It's got to be logical. It has to be mathematical. It has to make sense. There has to be an if-then to the whole plan. It has to, we have to be able to define it, describe it, have it make sense. That's the way we figure things out. That's the way we solve problems, make our pro-con list. It has to make sense. What's so fascinating about this is that this desire to have everything make sense, to be logical, is not limited to our Western modern mind. It's not limited to our industrialized, enlightened thinking way of processing life. This is the oldest story in the Bible. One of the oldest stories known to humanity. And it's what they wrestled with. It's got to make sense. This logical desire journey, it's part of human nature. It's human nature. But the reality is that life doesn't always make sense. Bad things happen to good people. And this is where we get tripped up. And this is where many of us stumble on the whole shebang, on the whole God pursuing in a loving way his people. We stumble on this because we say it doesn't make sense. Why did I lose my job? Why was I the one? I work harder than the people around me. I've been faithful. I have a, a family that I am pouring into, that I am faithful to. Why was I the one to lose my job? It doesn't make sense. For me, a question that I have asked more times than I can describe to you. When I was 13 years old, my mom left. Why did my mom leave us? I don't have an answer to that question. She, she died 12 years ago. I'll never get the answer to that question. It doesn't make sense. Why? Some of you here in this room, one of your questions that you don't have an answer to is, why did my husband cheat on me? Why was it? No, I'm not perfect. I wasn't perfect as a wife. But why did my husband stray away from our marriage to do that? Why did that happen? Why is my teenager straying from that which he knows is truth and that which he knows is good? That's not, that's not the way we were raised. I see other families and their kids are doing great and we're doing, we're so much more intentional about loving our kids. Why is that happening in my family? It doesn't make sense. It's not fair. It's not logical. There is no if-then that can explain this. And the painful reality is that life is not logical. And even the spiritual answers of, well, this is all part of God's plan, and maybe this is something. Even the spiritual answers, they just don't suffice. They don't take care of that pain, of that struggle, of that wrestling that we have with our God. Life is not logical. Now, it doesn't mean that life is meaningless or random. What it means is that there's more going on than we're aware of. We live in this world and we ask real, genuine questions. But often we're not mindful of the fact that there's a whole other stage happening over here. There's more going on than what we're aware of. So here we have 35 chapters of this wrestling 
this going back and forth. And we can't be too hard on Bildad and the other folks because these are some of the things that we say to one another because we want there to be a logical explanation. 35 chapters of this wrestling. And then God speaks. God shows up. And i got to tell you, these la- I'm going to jump to the last few chapters here in Job. These are some of my favorite chapters in Scripture. We're going to go into chapter 38. God does not come in and explain logically what's happening here. God does not come in and defend himself for what he has done or has not done. God simply says to Job that he is God. And he does it in a beautiful way. Let me, let me read how this begins here. Chapter 38 in Job. After 35 chapters of stage 2 discourse, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, and I wish I had that booming voice that we had in our trailer. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. (laughs) I don't want God saying that to me, I tell you. Bada boom. Verse 4, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. There's almost sarcasm in here. I I love it. I get get in trouble for doing sarcasm. God's really going after it here. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And this goes on and on. This is like the ultimate dad speech. You know how dads, they got to go into those speeches and buttons get pursed. And then there's like this little pause and all the kids go, oh no. And then dad goes into that speech. I got a friend whose who's button for the dad speech is when any kid says, it's not fair. I got a friend who just, when one of the kids says, well, that's not fair, all the other kids go, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And the dad goes, I'll tell you what's not fair. How many of my diapers have you changed? How many times have you wiped my bottom? And the dad goes on and on with this whole deal. Dad's got buttons. I got my own buttons. I'm like a cockpit of a 747. I got buttons where the dad speeches come out. This is the ultimate dad speech. Now, what I'm hoping to introduce here as we get started with the whole shebang is that there are three characters. God, us, and an enemy. If you want to get started in terms of understanding who God is, read the last few chapters of Job. Read chapters 38 and on in Job. I love what God lovingly and powerfully does as he steps in. He says, this is what I've done. I'm the one who set up the whole shebang. And he goes in and he talks about, he talks about his creation. It's a unique place in Scripture where he says, this is what I did. This is how and why the whole thing began. And then we give you an example here in chapter 39, the next chapter. Verse 13, he talks about the ostrich. He spends verses talking about the ostrich. 
The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, but they cannot compare with the pinions and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sun, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly, as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom." Or give her a share of good sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. That's just awesome. God's saying, I created that funny looking bird. And it's not so smart. But when it runs, look out. I made that. I made that. You ever look at nature and and just wonder, how could God have so beautifully and amazingly created such odd things? I mean, it's just part of human nature. Think about the fuzzy caterpillars. They, they kind of, and they got this spiked hair. They look like rock band caterpillars walking around. So cool. Why did God do that? Why did he have the hair go straight up? You ever seen an anteater? You ever seen a platypus? God has made some, some odd things. You ever seen Juno Smalley? You ever really looked at him closely? God has made some amazing things. This, this whole, these whole chapters, it reminds me of this great series called Planet Earth. I know, I know many of you have seen this, and, you, and I watched that. I've watched that with my wife, and I just, I'm in awe of God's creation. And for those of you who've seen it, you, you remember with me the scene of the great white shark. The great white shark comes bounding out of the water, grabbing a full-size seal in his mouth. Boom. I watched that thing a thousand times. That is amazing. I sit and I watch that, and I marvel at the human brilliance to capture that shot in HD in slow motion. And, and the shot starts with a clear water. So they have a camera focused on that one spot before the shark comes up. Amazing. I'm amazed at the human brilliance to capture the shot. God's the one who put on the show. We didn't, we didn't do any of this. God, can, he goes on and on here in this section. He talks about the wild donkeys. They use donkeys to carry things, to haul things so much. He says, I created the wild donkeys that no one ever uses. They're not help to anybody. And what about the wild ox that are not plowing and, and, and have... Uh, the yoke on them and moving and helping out people. I created them too. He talks about the mountain goat who, who uh, delivers a baby in behind on the other side of the mountain where no human being could ever get to. This mountain goat gets up there, has a baby, and no one ever sees the mom. No one ever sees the baby. I did that. I did that, and it's awesome. God is irrationally creative. He did so many things that we are not even aware of. The expanse of the universe just because He's God. We want things to be so logical, to make so much sense, to line up here in stage two. But we're in a a story that has been designed by a stage one God who is irrationally beautiful, irrationally creative, who irrationally loves you. Now, Job never figures out. There's no evidence that Job ever figures out 
what happens in the other part of the story, in stage one. And that's fitting because we don't either. When we wrestle with our questions, we often don't get the view that we get in Job's, in Job's story. But Job realizes something all the more powerful. He learns who God is through these chapters. Let me read just one more verse with you. Chapter 42, verse 5. This is Job's response. I love hearing the papers shuffle. Chapter 42, verse 5. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. My ears had heard of you. I've, I've heard the stories. I've been to Sunday school class. I've taken that course. I've read that book. I've 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 thought about logically about who you are, God. But now I see you. Now I get it. Now I trust you, God. That's the difference between information and transformation. Job now sees that there is a great designer of this amazing story. I'm so thrilled that you're here, and I hope that we continue to do this journey together. And we're wise to remember three, two, one. There are three characters in this story, in the whole shebang. God, the pursuer, us, the loved, the, the beloved, and an enemy. There are two stages. There's the supernatural and the natural. And there's one God. Three characters, two stages, one God. Now, it's been said that the story we believe we're living in determines how we live our lives. The story we believe we're living in determines how we live our lives. If we believe that our existence is limited to stage two, then when no one else is on the stage, when no one else is looking, why would it matter what we do? Why would it matter what we think, the decisions that we make? But if we believe that there is a whole shebang, there is a designer, there is a stage one, there is more that's going on behind the scenes, then we will get a, a little bit closer to realizing how significant our decisions are, how important it is for us to make good decisions, not because of guilt and God is watching and do this, but because our lives matter so hugely. We will see this consistently throughout the whole shebang. Your decisions, your lives matter in a huge, huge way. Job had no clue how important his decisions were in that moment. And neither do we. Neither do we. You, you, you don't even know. If you're, if you're new, if this is like your first time jumping into this kind of deal, you don't even know how big of a deal it could be for you to hang on to this journey for a year. You, you, you don't even know how much this could affect your story, your life, your family, your community, your city. <laughs> it's awesome. Let's pray. God, I am thankful for the history makers here in this room. Lord, we are not as independent as we sometimes feel we are. 
we are together. We are one. And so, Father, I, I pray that, that you would use uh, here this book of Job to remind us who you are, to remind us of the reality of the world in which we live, and that that would inspire us to live lives that you're calling us to. God, I pray that we would, we would read these chapters here in Job. Father, I pray that we would lean into who you are. God, that we would embrace your irrational creativity and your irrational love for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.